All right, welcome to another episode of Break Away from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Crystal Caruthers. Uh, Crystal is an ex-engineer turned creative real estate investor with her kids and her husband uh, in tow. This is how I'm going to say it. And I have they, she has built a real estate portfolio of houses and commercial property. And through the years, uh, she has done almost every kind of single family deal type. So buy and hold, wholesaling, flipping, seller financing, uh, hard money lending. But now she's focusing on larger deals, doing multifamily and retail deals uh, that buy that she buys outright or sometimes together with some partners. So she loves finding off-market bargains, dealing directly with sellers, and crafting creative deals. I think this is something that's very important in this economy and helping educate people on all the fantastic parts of real estate. Crystal, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, so I'm sorry about you about your husband. He's probably going to say, "Well, you know, she had she didn't have me in tow. She had the kids <laughs> in tow, and I helped. I was really there." So <laughs> he definitely was. Um, for years, he supported the family working his job while I got to stay home with the kids, and then he would go handle the rehabs over his lunch hour. So he, he's oh, always wow. been involved, and he still is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, yeah. So tell us more about before we get into you know the 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 details. So tell us how you got started. What got you the uh, got you gave you the idea to do real estate, and um, yeah, so that that's very curious because you probably had your hands full with the kids and then you know dealing with all that and schools and whatnot. So tell us more about how, why you decided to get started in real estate. Sure. I had been an engineer, but I never really loved that. Um, I, I know that now because I'm more about, you know, the people side of the business, um, not as much into the analytics as I needed to be for engineering. And so when we had our children, I was fortunate enough to get to stay home with them, but it, I didn't stay still for very long. And when my daughter was not even a year old, one night she wouldn't sleep. And so I was thumbing through the, the Kindle store like the free section. And I found a book on wholesaling, uh, wholesaling houses. And I read it and it just, it blew my mind. Like it was a huge epiphany because we had been interested in getting some rental properties. We had had one rental property for years because when we got married, we both had houses. So mm -hmm. we just fell into being accidental landlords. Yeah. But we wanted it to be a more systematic thing, but we didn't really know how to go about that. And my husband had come up with the idea of basically paying cash for 25 houses over the next 25 years. And I don't think we were ever going to get to go out to eat again because every dollar was going toward buying these houses because we had no idea how to do it. Yeah. Um, but that once I found that book on wholesaling, I'm a voracious reader. And so that led to another one, to another one. And within a few days, I was hooked. And we were actually on a ski trip when this happened. Yeah. And so I kept it all to myself. Every night I'd have to go to bed early because our daughter was very unhappy unless I was in the room with her. And so by the time we made the long drive home from the ski trip, I had read probably five or six different books. I had found bigger pockets. I had found, a you know, local real estate investors in my area. And he unfortunately got blasted with that on about a 10 hour drive home <laughs> from New Mexico. And uh, all he would agree to do was to uh, go to one of the local RIA meetings with me because yeah. he was not at all sold, yeah. Uh, yeah. but it didn't take long. 
And so while he does tend to be the more conservative in our relationship and I'm the, I'm the gambler, um, it didn't take long for him to really see the value in us doing this as well. So, you know, my son was four, my daughter was about one. And so I basically started with a local mentor in my community, which is something I am adamant about. I, I think that's a huge benefit when you can work with someone local and she helped us learn how to market directly to the homeowners, how to buy at a huge discount, how to estimate the rehabs. And we went in with a, a buy and hold approach. But I I may be that serial entrepreneur that has to chase every different type. So, um, you know, our main thing was always buying them off market. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really love to sit down with a seller and communicate and find out what their needs were and what our needs are and you know so often it's not about the price and so before long we had found lots of houses you know it it took a little while to get it rolling but once that wheel starts turning you know it feels like leads just fall in our lap now because we've been established for so long that was about um 10 years ago when we first got started all right how many houses do you have now (laughs) how many houses do you have now uh i think we're up to 85 or something like that i don't know i i we've been selling off some and then we've added some so um, <laughs> this is very I'm interesting not the person I, keeping track of everything that's yeah, what yeah, no absolutely no it's exactly the same thing is uh people don't understand if you don't have like a portfolio of real estate um you know you don't understand that you don't really know exactly how many houses you have sometimes because you have deals coming in, you have deals coming out and you're just like, you're selling some, you're renting some and you kind of lose track. Uh, I mean, you, you have a dashboard, like I'm sure you have a dashboard or something like that where you keep track of that thing. I have one, uh, but yeah, I mean, if somebody asked me today, how many houses do you have? Well, it's like, well, it depends. I mean, I have these houses, but I'm trying to sell them. And I have these houses that are part of the family portfolio and I have this. So, you know, so that's kind of, uh, and I have these that are part of a joint venture agreement and I have this apartment building. I mean, what do you want? Like, you know, so, so it's very interesting to, to hear you say that, but 85 around, around 85, uh, single family rentals, right? Yes. Um, a few of those are houses that I don't know whether I should count them or not, because they're ones that we sold with financing. Uh, we went through that phase where we were yeah, doing yeah. that. Yeah. And so on those, technically, we own the note, not the house. But yeah. um, I'm lumping those in there, too. And yeah. we did that for a while, but we decided that that wasn't really for us. So, you know, mm-hmm. we, we don't have a lot of those, maybe four or five still. Um, yeah. and I, I really like the seller financing. I'm, we've done a few before. Uh, and now that the uh, and then we kind of stopped doing that because of the inflation went up. Right, and that might be why you you decide to stop doing it also, um, but because we, you know, and then uh, eventually now we kind of like starting a little bit for some some deals where it made sense, mm-hmm. uh, and then when somebody wants to put a lot of down payment, so we've done we've done I'm doing one right now seller financing, and the person is putting like forty percent down, and we're charging like eight percent interest or something like that. Yeah, that's great. But, so it makes sense for them. They don't have a good credit score. They can't get regular financing. So, you know, so that's kind of how we're how we're doing it. Because um, we have a lot of people that we're dealing with that they have like some strange income. Um, so, so that's one way of doing it. 
So, so yeah, so you've done that, some of that, and then you've moved after that. Uh, so what was the move after that? Like, so you've done, you've built your, you did some buy and hold. And then at one point you decide to venture into different kinds of deals. So what were some of these other deals that, uh, and why you decide to uh, change direction or change strategy? Right. I, without being overly negative, 2020 was a challenging year as uh -huh. like we're all landlords and going through that circumstance where we could not take back possession of our home, but we couldn't require rent payments. That was a, a challenging time. And it opened up my eyes that maybe I needed some different asset classes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe we were just, I didn't feel like I was extremely focused because we had a few income streams, but you know, going through that period in mid 2020, when we didn't know if anyone was going to pay the rent, which luckily our tenants were amazing. Probably only 1% of our tenants actually, uh, you know, same, abused same that. Same for us. Same for us. Like it's actually less than 1% for us. And we send them a note. We said, you know, if you have any problem, like let us know, we can talk things through. Let's have an open communication. And then, uh, yeah, less than 1% had any kind of issues. Yeah. Exactly. I, I think the communication there was key and we had a good relationship. At that point, we were still running our own rental management company as well. So we immediately had our manager reaching out and calling people several times a month, checking in on them, just asking yeah. how they were doing. I mean, that was kind of a dark time for everybody. It was yeah. scary. Yeah. And, you know, we set up rent deferral plans for people. We waived late fees almost that whole year. And, you know, I, I think our tenants appreciated that. And, we really didn't have abuse of it. Like I've heard of, you know, some, some scary stories. However, it still didn't change my mind that I would like to have some different <laughs> income streams. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and, and to be honest, that's one of the things I love about real estate in general is it's so huge. Mm -hmm. Like there yeah. are so many different ways you can make money. And yeah. once your eyes are opened to how easy it is to make money, it feels, it feels like it's everywhere. Like yeah. everywhere you look, there's an, a new opportunity. Yeah. Um, sometimes the challenge for us is reining it in. Mm -hmm. I mean, th that's how we ended up dropping the seller financing is because yeah. it started feeling like a distraction mm -hmm. from our, our ultimate goals. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, ne I'd never say never because, you know, you have different deals come to you and sometimes it only makes sense in a certain way and it's hard to walk away from those. But now we're looking at commercial buildings um, as well as large multifamily Mm -hmm. I do feel still, um, I feel strongly about housing because everyone always needs a house, Yeah, you know, someone may not always need a business, you know, location to rent, Yeah, but you always need a house. So, um, with that in mind, you know, we're still open to large multifamily, but we would like to scale faster and we prefer to work with a very small staff right now. We have no staff. Um, yeah. so we can do several of these large deals a year and ultimately end up more successful than if we were adding 20 houses a year mm -hmm. and it's a lot less work for us. Mm -hmm. So, um, last year we added a beautiful class A shopping center together with some partners and we found it off market. It, it wasn't distressed in any way. Unlike yeah. a lot of our houses that we bought, <laughs> yeah. um, but this this property is just a beautiful property, eight years old, and it has 14 tenant spaces, has a Sherwin-Williams in it, which is amazing. 
And so together with some partners, we bought that and it's been a great experience. Triple net leases and oh, nice, nice. so much more to learn in this yeah. whole new asset class. So for really the last two years, I've been cramming information, um, both on large multifamily and, you know, just commercial buildings in general. Mm-hmm. I really love the valuation in commercial properties yeah. mm-hmm. because single family houses, you know, if your neighbors aren't doing what they should, it's yeah. going to impact what your house is worth. Buy you the neighborhood. That's what you do. But- you just buy mm-hmm. the neighborhood. So um, <laughs> the uh, on the commercial side, you know, if I love that I can increase the rents, I can I can add new income streams or I can reduce expenses. And just like that, I made the value of that property go up. So mm-hmm. I like having the control of that. Yeah. Um, it's exciting because it opens up a lot more opportunities, you know, in, in, a, in a property that maybe someone else doesn't have the same vision for, they don't see the value, Yeah, mm-hmm. but I can see that and realize what we could do with it and maybe double the, the worth. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the valuation on commercial properties definitely is, is fantastic because it's based on the economic value of the, of the building. Uh, and then, yeah, with residential, you're kind of stuck in, um, you know, in, in the comparable sales kind of uh, for the appraisal. And this is one of the reasons why we're doing, because I do a turnkey business. So I, I do these, uh, I, I resell or flip single family rentals. Um, so this is one of the reasons why uh, I'm doing seller financing is that sometimes uh, the area where we are, the the value is not being recognized because the neighborhood is, uh, for some reason, they haven't sold their house in a long time. There's no comparable sales or the comparable sales are not relevant, in, in my opinion. But we can definitely sell the house at this price. It makes sense to sell the house at this price, but then nobody, the banks don't recognize it. So that's why we kind of, sometimes we're forced into doing seller financing to make sure that we're getting the pr- the price that we want uh, for uh, for the property. And then we also have other, sometimes other issues based on the, uh, you know, the person that wants to buy it, having some uh, uh, inability to get a, a loan and stuff like that. So that I use seller financing kind of as a, an instrument to, to maximize the, uh, the revenue for things and helping people buy the properties, but not as an overall strategy. Right. But yeah, I mean, I love commercial real estate uh, also. But uh, how how are you doing on the um, on the multifamily? How's the the, the market? I mean, we've been trying to look for mark uh, multifamily and stuff, and it's been pretty hard to find yeah. some good deals in multifamily. Exactly. And at my core, I'm a bargain shopper. <laughs> like you, I'm I'm used to buying houses at a deep discount. That's how we built our entire portfolio. And even our our one uh, shopping center we bought last year, you know, it wasn't distressed, but we just got what we felt was a pretty good deal on it. We have tried to buy one apartment this year and we ended up falling out of contract on it because the numbers just didn't make sense as the rates were rising. Yeah, It was a good enough deal when we first got it. But as we went through due diligence, it no longer was a good enough deal. It definitely not a good enough deal considering we were going to be bringing in investor capital on it yeah. and yeah. anything that I'm, you know, talking to investors about, I want to make sure it's going to be a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to involve someone in something that I'm not as confident in the outcome as I need to be. Yeah. So yeah. 
we also have been struggling with the, the low cap rates and, and that sort of thing. We love to invest in our home market, which we're in the Oklahoma City metro. And, you know, we're interested all throughout all throughout Oklahoma. Uh, we have invested in Texas and Arkansas at times, mm -hmm. but we're awfully comfortable at home. And, and we just know this area like the back of our hand. Yeah. And so it makes it easier to value these things. But our market is not always as dynamic as some of those other markets. So we just have to shape our deals accordingly. Mm -hmm. And often that means we're buying for cash flow. We're not buying for that huge appreciation. Yeah. And if we get the appreciation, that's great. But we have always bought based on, you know, increasing our cash flow. And consequently, that um, has made it a little challenging this year, finding those apartment deals we want. Yeah. But I... I don't want to seem like a vulture at all because I'm not. I really don't want our market to crash, but I do feel like there's going to be some opportunities coming up. Um, like you were saying, maybe with creative financing, um, we love that sort of aspect of it. Crafting the creative deal to me is exhilarating. Yeah, uh, I yeah. love to hear what's really important to the seller. And yeah. often yeah. things that are important to them don't matter at all to me. You know, yeah. flexibility on date, uh, needing to occupy the property for a while afterwards, all, all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so when I can sit down and, and talk to them, eventually they will, you know, if you talk to them long enough, they will tell you how to buy their property. Mm -hmm. I'm convinced of it, especially yeah. in a motivated yeah. seller. Yeah. For some yeah. people, it really is about the price and that's okay. Um, but for a lot of people, it's not. So when we can craft something like that, I think both sides end up really happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, the market you're in, like Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma City, I mean, this, these are good markets and land, landlord friendly and all that. So, so you, you're lucky to be in, the, in a good market. Uh, I, you know, when I started investing, I was in, uh, in California in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm telling you that nothing cash flows over there. Um, yeah. So, you know. So that's, we had to go out of state. We had to look at, uh, you know, when we started in Memphis, we did Cleveland, um, you know, St. Louis. And um, so that's kind of how we got started, out of state investing. But yeah, if you're in a good market like Oklahoma City and uh, surrounding area, I mean, this is this is a good way to to get started. You can actually really make it a lot easier for you to, uh, to build that uh, passive income portfolio. Yeah, we, we we are aware that we are very fortunate. And, you know, I don't want to go back to the trauma of 2020, but I was very happy to be in a landlord friendly state. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel for some of the people that invest in areas where they've had to deal with, you know, a much longer eviction moratorium and things like that, that would make it really hard to run your business. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm talking to uh, some uh, some friends of mine that own like um, multifamily uh, in downtown Los Angeles, and they haven't been able to raise their rent uh, for the last, uh, you know, since the pandemic. And now they're talking about extending it an extra year where they won't be able to raise their rent, or they're going to be able to raise it like one or 2% or something like that. So they're going to cap it. Um, so but his costs are going up. Um, uh, so, you know, so that's kind of interesting, but, um, one of my mentors likes to say all real estate is local, mm -hmm. you know, like yeah. every market is unique. And so, you know, we, we are open to moving into some different areas, but I'm going to have to really get to know those areas before Yeah, I want to move in there in a big way. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's what, yeah, we had to we had to go like slowly. We started with one house and build a team on the ground, someone that we can trust. And we would go there, um, you know, every other, every month or every quarter, we'd go kind of like explore the area. And we got pretty familiar with it. But yeah, we started slowly and then we doubled down as things were getting better and better. And we just kept, kept going up uh, in terms of the number of houses we bought. So great. So go slowly for sure. Test the team, test the uh, the deals and all of that. So let's talk about uh, kind of like how you find any kind of tips that you have for our listeners on how to get uh, great deals uh, on or off market. So what are there, some of the your trade secrets uh, that uh, about finding the great deals? Well, I mean, often it starts with that really low offer. You know, as they say, if you if you're not embarrassed, it's not low enough. And even to this day, I still get embarrassed at some of my offers. Yeah. But um, so you only be embarrassed if they accept it or now you feel guilty. <laughs> we have historically done all kinds of marketing. Um, you know, when we were doing single families, then, you know, often like we went the bandit sign route, we would send out postcards and mailers, handwritten envelopes, all those yeah. strategies. We have a website that luckily we've had it in place so long, it actually still brings in a fair number of leads without us doing much of anything on it. And at this point, I that's still the only marketing I'm doing on single family because I'd be crazy to bring down my website. Yeah. And we actually have done a fair amount of deals. We've probably done 25 houses in the last year and a half just wow. coming in through the website um, that I wasn't even trying for. But, you know, if a lead falls in your lap, you work it. Yeah, yeah, of course. But, yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I, I often encourage people to do, because I feel like especially newer investors struggle with this. You have to start telling people you're actually looking for houses. Yeah. Word of mouth is amazing. The best deals I've ever gotten are through word of mouth because you already have a level of respect with that seller. You're yeah. not coming in, you know, trying to pitch something at them with their, you know, their boundaries already pushing back at you. Yeah. If you come in because someone has recommended you, those are always going to be your best opportunities for a great deal. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people I'm working with, you know, introduce yourself, say, I'm a real estate investor. Yeah. You know, do you know anyone that has a house they might like to sell? I'm happy to buy. I buy all the time. Mm -hmm. And I felt like such a faker when I started that, you know, I was thinking, Hey, I'm, I'm just a stay at home mom with my kids. And, you know, I'd show up at these gross houses with my kids with me and, you know, just trying to keep them from eating nasty things on the floor. And once I started saying that though, I finally internalized it and I started believing it. And that's a, an important part. It's not even just putting the word out there. It's you have to believe that you're an investor yeah. and you can do this. And it kind of comes out naturally that way. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think this is part of the, to me, the, the kind of part of the mindset is that you have, and I was, uh, when I got started, I mean, I, I started thinking, I started thinking, I always thought of myself actually as an entrepreneur or an investor and stuff like that. So that's what, and my, my job was really my side gig. So I always kind of imagined that I was just like, yeah, I'm doing this silly job, nine to five to pay the bills and stuff like that. But I am like a business person. I am an investor. I'm an entrepreneur. So, and I, that's kind of my recommendation also to people that are getting started. Yes, you may be an engineer, maybe you're a CPA, maybe you're a doctor and stuff like that. But really, you're 
you should be a doctor might be a d- different because it's more vocational maybe but um you know like you're kind of uh you have to be an investor and you have to present yourself as an investor and it's pretty telling when you go to these uh, meetups and then people introduce themselves and also what do you do or who are you and all that oh i'm a i'm an engineer or i'm a software developer and stuff like that like no you're an investor yeah you you do software development on the side but you know this you're an investor you're here for investing and that changes your whole kind of your whole network and how people think of you and why people are, are going to send you leads or send you contacts or something like that. I think that's I totally, very important. Yeah. Now, um, word of mouth is proving to be even more important mm-hmm. yeah. as we go into these commercial markets because I'm having to tweak my methods yeah. in terms of trying to find commercial buildings and apartments. And now I'm cold calling. Like I'm, I'm just flat pulling up the owners of record and finding yeah. them and, and trying to track them down. Um, I've joined like the chamber of commerce. I've joined a local business association, things like that. Yeah. So I can go around and put the word out that I'm an investor. I'm looking for properties to buy. Mm-hmm. And with the way the commercial properties are valued, I don't even feel like I have to come in at the two, you know, the super embarrassing price anymore because I have that opportunity to force the appreciation. Yeah. I'm not just dealing with what the local comps are. So, you know, if I could just buy it at maybe 95% of what most other people would think it's worth, but I have a strategy that I'm going to implement that's going to raise those rents 20% over the first year. Well, then it's a no brainer that I should pay that price. And especially if I can come in with some sort of special term, seller financing, something creative, I feel like that's where I have an advantage over some of the other buyers that maybe aren't as able to think outside of the box. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my best deals ever are the ones that I paid the most for. Um, I've gotten probably 10 doors with seller financing with 0% interest. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, you know, it's just a matter of knowing what the seller's needs were. In those cases, they were people that didn't really want to do a 1031 exchange and get into a new property but that property was completely depreciated out and they were going to take all their money that I paid them in taxes, or at least that's yeah. what their feeling was. Yeah. And so by spreading it out, I was able to show them how ultimately they're making a lot more on this sale than someone that maybe was going to pay them a little bit more, but it was all cash. Yeah. So um, once again, it all goes back to just really listening and working with your sellers, you know, go at it like a team sport mm-hmm. to craft the perfect deal and I like to think that all my sellers are happy. Um, I had one seller ever that was unhappy at the closing table. And I actually gave that person what they asked. I don't know if it's because I didn't haggle yeah. or that his yeah. wife was, for, I still am not completely sure why he was unhappy when I gave him what he asked for. But I <laughs> I do strive to have happy sellers. I, I don't want to, you know. <laughs> Upsetness when we're at the title agent. So, <laughs> so let's. So I think that's a good segue because I think uh, you know we talked about how you get your deals and all of that with the bandit sign and all that. But also, uh, so how do you how do you start the conversation about finding a creative deals? What what are some of the the options, the tools that you're using? So you mentioned already like uh, approaching them with seller financing. What are some of the different options that someone can use? And also kind of like, how do you approach the conversation? How do you get a hint that 
oh, this person is not really, he doesn't care about getting the full amount right now. There's an option here. There's some, I could open a, a door here that would allow me to use this, this particular tool. Right. It, it's a challenge for someone that likes to talk as much as me, but <laughs> I have to shut up and listen uh -huh. um, because they will, you know, just in their conversation, they will pepper the conversation with the things that are important to them. You know, it could be someone that was inheriting this home because their grandmother passed away and they have no idea how to get it through probate. And what they really need is someone to help them with that process. And not only that, you know, can you find a probate lawyer that will take the proceeds at closing because they can't pay it up front? Mm -hmm. You know, things like that. You can find that person that, you know, they're closing on their new house three weeks after the sale of this. Yeah. And yeah. so... You know, it doesn't matter to me whether I start the rehab the day after the closing or a month after. So, you know, we can do a lease back for a month or just allow them to stay for a few days so that they don't have to move their items. If they're doing a back to back closing on the same day, you still don't want to move all the things out of your first house before you own the second one. So as simple as offering them a few extra days in possession. And that's very easy to still secure your property. You just keep yeah. some money in escrow at the title agent or as a security deposit. And that's nothing for me. We've got all these other rentals that people are in. What's one more? Yeah. So if that's yeah. the difference in um, making them happy and choosing our deal instead, the flexibility, I think, is the most important part. Mm -hmm. You know, we're buying all the time, so we don't have to do it on a schedule. If they're wanting to close 90 days from now, sure, we'll go ahead and sign that contract now. And now you don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, it's just a matter of listening to them for all the cues. Yeah. And of course, you'll get all the, the motivated seller words like, I'm sick of this house. It's falling down. I hate this. I just want to be done with it. Yeah. And you know that tells you that there's a great opportunity for a deal. But you still have to figure out what are those pain points for them and how can you make it easier for them? Yeah. And yeah. I struggled early on because I felt guilty buying these houses at the prices I was needing to buy them. Mm -hmm. And finally, I realized that, no, I'm offering a service. Yeah. I'm solving their problems. They have no idea how to fix these problems. I do have that expertise. And so in exchange for that, I get a little equity. Yeah. And once I reconciled that in my mind, that some of these people, that that property would just crumble to the ground yeah. if someone yeah. wasn't able to help them with this sale. Mm -hmm. And so they're much better off selling it to me yeah. than yeah. just letting it fall down completely. Or often I market to tax lists. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going back to the marketing thing, the key is identifying a group of people that might be motivated to sell. Mm -hmm. Well, in Oklahoma, if you don't pay your property taxes for three years, that following June, the County will sell your property. Yeah. And so once you're three years delinquent, those people are very motivated. And it's yeah. not the easiest yeah. thing to build that list. It's published mm -hmm. the month before the sale. But if you can build that back in January or February and be marketing to those people, yeah, yeah, yeah. those are people that really do need to be helped. Yeah. And I would yeah. much rather buy it where I can inspect the property, get a clear title, buy it the normal route through the title company than to try to go buy it at the tax sale. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's, probably a relief for those people as well. And I'm happy to offer suggestions on how they could do it otherwise. Like they don't have to sell to me. Yeah. You know, if it's yeah. a great looking property, I can clearly 
point them in the direction of some great realtors that could mm -hmm. help them sell it for more. Mm -hmm. And I have often recommended people that they really should just list it. Yeah. And yeah. people have listed it and they came back to me later if they didn't sell for the price they wanted. And, you know, I, yeah. I can sleep very well at night knowing that like I'm offering all kinds of resources. If someone yeah. wants to try it for sell by owner, I will gladly share my title agent's name and point out that it's really not very hard to sell your property yourself. I there's there's more than enough deals out there. I don't have to scrape for them. Um, I believe in abundance, and the more yeah. of us that are out there offering help and offering um, suggestions, the world's a better place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, I I feel the same way as well. I think this uh, the real estate investment community is also. I'm always amazed at how we collaborate on all kinds of deals, all kinds of situation and learn from one another. I mean, you know, I'm learning from you today. Thank you very much. Uh, but uh, this is, um, you know, this is great. This is the kind of environment when you become, when you're a real estate investor and you, in your mind, you're a real estate investor, uh, it's, it changes uh, everything and how you, uh, how you interact with other people and how you, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, how do you, you build your network? It's, it's a great network to be part of. Um, before, uh, but one of the big thing we need to talk about we haven't talked about yet is working with your family or working with your spouse. Uh, so so let tell us about about that part of it. Obviously, you were the, the, the leader at the beginning, kind of like really looking at wholesaling and then drag your husband uh, to uh, some some meetings or some kind of conference and all of that. So tell us about about that, about the importance of working as a team or as a couple, and uh, you know the dynamic. Yeah. So I come from a background of a family business. My parents were entrepreneurs and started their own business, and so oh, I really? grew up. In wow. So before I had my children, that's what I was doing is I was actually in my family's business, which was commercial and industrial heating and air. Oh, wow. And so my brothers were working there, my parents, and like I even drug my husband over. He he was formerly a banker and um, we drug him over into the business as well. Oh, and really? Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> he, I knew that I wasn't going to get to stay home with my kids if I had to take over my mom's job, which was running the business side. And I thought my husband would be very well suited for it. And so I managed to convince him to, to come join the family business. But ultimately, when we got into real estate, I realized that was my passion. Yeah. I really loved it way more than I ever enjoyed my, my family's business. And, you know, to be honest, I guess I'm kind of proud. I like the idea of us building our own business, mm -hmm. not just, you know, growing what my parents had done such a great job of of creating. And so it was, I think about four years after we started this business that we had replaced basically his income that he was getting from that job. We early on, we rolled everything back in the business. And fortunately we, we had a little nest egg that could get us started because we had intended on building a house and we decided not to, we, we ended up doing this instead. And that that's been a great decision to invest that money rather than yeah. just waste it I mean, it wouldn't have been a waste. We would have had a beautiful house, <laughs> yeah. but it wouldn't have launched us yeah, into that as efficient. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, with our with our business, my husband and I have learned it's important that we wear our own hats. Mm -hmm. So we need to have clearly defined roles. And that's what we do. 
And for instance, he's always ever seen the rehab, even when he was doing that at lunchtime, driving out to check our, our job site at lunch, you know, he was, he was the contractor, um, like overseer, I should say. And even though sometimes I, you know, I want to ask, why is that taking so long? Why aren't they done painting? You know, what, when can I put somebody in that rental? The fact is, is I don't want that job. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I appreciate that he does that job and he does it well yeah. and I trust him to just handle it. Yeah. And he does the same thing for me when it comes to acquisitions or raising money or any of that. He knows that he needs to just let me do my thing. And it's not that we can't offer suggestions to each other, mm-hmm. but it's when we both try to do the same job, we step on each other's toes. Yeah, that's and early that. on, that's what we were doing. That very first rehab, we were just all over each other and we react in different ways. My way when, you know, I feel like he's not all in is I just do more, 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 more. Like, I'm not even going to ask you to do this, you know, because you don't want to, I'm not going to nag. I'm just going to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, his response to that was, well, you don't even want me in it. So I'm going to step back. And we had to learn to communicate because how we react to those things is in our own heads. It's not, we, we can't read their mind, the other person's mind. Oddly enough, we can't. We've been married 18 <laughs> years. I'm getting better at it, but I definitely cannot read his mind. Yeah. So clearly defining each other's roles. And when he came full-time into the business uh, like five years ago or however long ago it's been, we had to redefine that because mm-hmm. now I had to pass a lot of those jobs that I was doing over to him. Mm-hmm. And so we had to go through the whole process again. And so I think periodically you have to sit down and lay out all the roles in your business as your business changes. Like ours has in the last year has changed in a big way because we stopped doing self-management. We had employees and we stopped um, managing our rentals ourselves because we decided that ultimately that was costing us money in terms of deals, you know, like spending that amount of time overseeing the management. It was saving us a little bit, but we make our money when we buy as Mm -hmm. you know, what is you make your money when you buy, you keep your money when you manage. Yeah. And so someone else can manage, maybe not quite as good as we always think we could do it ourselves, but pretty darn good. Yeah. And so as of April of this year, all of our rentals are out with a external property manager. And so once again, we had more time. So we had to reassign our, our job duties. Mm-hmm. You know, so now he is the contact with the property manager and I have 100% of my time to look for deals, to, to network. And frankly, that fills my bucket anyway. That's what makes me happy. He's much happier with the numbers and, you know, the details and looking at the books and stuff. And so we're at the point in our business where we can shape our lives to be the way we want it to. Um, Early on, I had no time, you know, I was in there working at 11 o'clock at night because, you know, I didn't want to miss that time with my children and, you know, I could take the kids out to look at the houses, but sometimes there's just work to be done on the computer. But now we're to the point where it feels like we have so much time because both of our children are in school. Mm-hmm. So we work usually from about 8.30 to 3.30. And then in the evenings, we're able to be completely present with mm-hmm. our family. And our kids know all about the business because they've been involved from yeah. the beginning. Like they were some of my great ne- negotiators. You know, they'd walk <laughs> through saying, what's that smell? You know? <laughs> They were fantastic, but now they're interested in the business and they've even, we've helped them to buy their own houses. 
So now our son that's 14 has two and our daughter that's 10 bought her first one a few months ago. And nice. our son even comes in and does his own QuickBooks entries. Like wow. we, we want them to know it forwards and backwards. Even nice. if they don't end up loving real estate like we do, yeah, they will know how to run it. And yeah. they can either leave it with a property manager and just have cash flow their whole lives. Or maybe one day they'll sell it all and and start a business or do something else with it. But whatever it is, time is on their side. So since they were interested, we went ahead and got it going. And they actually have their own LLCs. They saved up several thousand dollars. We used private money and like they're actually their houses. And uh, it's pretty, I think that may make me more excited than any of the properties we've acquired. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to have the, the kids involved and know that the kids are taken care of. And it's kind of like it's part of your legacy. Uh, and I feel exactly the same way. I mean, you know, I, you, your parents at least were uh, were entrepreneurs and business owner. My parents were just like, they didn't understand any of that business stuff and money stuff and uh, stock market or anything like that. N- nothing about investing. So I had to learn that on my own. But now I feel very... Um, you know, it's great for me to know that hey, my kids are involved in the business. They know what's going on and they're they're not, uh, you know, I mean, your kids are young, but my kids are older and they're driving. They're driving the business. They're driving their roles. They're driving their uh, their part of the business. And um, so that they're, you know, it's not they're not kids. <laughs> they're not kids anymore. They are. They're my business partners. And that's um, so that's that's very uh, that's fantastic. Imagine a business partner that you can trust like a hundred percent. That is, you know, perfectly aligned. Uh, well, not always perfectly aligned. We do have discussions, uh, but uh, you know, this is fantastic. So, so Crystal, I think uh, you know uh, we're about to wrap up here. I think you're you're really uh, you know your story is very uh, inspirational. I know that you're doing some deals sometime where you are uh, you're looking for uh, for investors or partners. Uh, I think people can actually go on your website or contact you and then be put on the mailing list. Uh, I know that you mentioned earlier that you know you're not selling anything. You're just like uh, and you don't have a deal right now that you're looking for investors. But I think if people want to reach out to you, be part of your mailing list, how to, can they do that? My email address is crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L, at chromis, C-H-R-O-M-I-S, capital.com. Uh, my husband and I are scuba divers, so the vast majority of our businesses are named after fish of some sort. Okay. <laughs> a chromis <laughs> is a, a beautiful school of little blue fish you see on the reef. Okay. And you can reach out there, or you can just call me. My number is 405-819-5141, and I absolutely love to talk real estate. So whether you're interested in investing with us or you would just, you know, like to chat, I'm happy yeah. to do that. Oh, nice. Very. Um, thank you very there's much. Nothing I, I love talking about more than real estate. I love a captive audience. So. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Crystal, thank you very much. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Take care. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martell. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.